May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. In 1983, at William and Mary, there was a fire in the wee hours of the night at a residence hall. And from then on, an extra exercises was added to freshman orientation. We were told to gather our most important possessions and put them in a shoebox under our beds. What we put in the shoebox was up to us, just whatever we would need and want to grab in the event of a fire or other emergency. They gave us half an hour to do it, but it didn't take any of us near that long. We had just gotten there, and we didn't have very much, so it was not a difficult exercise. My box held my keys from home, my wallet with my driver's license and a couple of pictures, my personal phone book, because, you know, back then we didn't have smartphones, a locket given to me by my great aunt, and the obligatory new toothbrush and a clean pair of underwear. (laughs) Because we were told, if we were turned out of the dorm in the middle of the night and lost everything we owned, the things we would want most on earth were a toothbrush and a clean pair of drawers. It occurs to me all these years later that what I chose for the box, those things that were of greatest import to me, were things that connected me with home, with those I loved, and with my own identity. And then there were those practical items also. In chapter 12 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is seeking to lower the anxiety of his disciples. They've begun to figure out that following this wandering preacher will not be easy. Immediately before our passage, Jesus tells his friends not to fear those who can kill the body, but to worry about those with power to damage the soul. And later he will tell us to consider the lilies of the field and not be anxious about what we need. That's easier said than done. We don't see lilies much, but we do see homeless folks. The recession of 2008 and the slow road to recovery has made all too clear that there are too many people in our society a couple of paychecks away from not being able to pay their mortgage or their rent. It's a scary prospect. So we do everything in our power to make sure it doesn't happen to us. The rich man in this morning's parable ensured his survival by stockpiling goods. Defended as he was against every eventuality, there was little room for God and no thought for his neighbors. Sadly, his goods, the best parts of his life, were things. And since possessions were the currency he understood, his solution to his excess is more and bigger barns so he can store more stuff. The tragedy is that the rich man saw himself as the man who makes a treasure for himself. That's a literal translation. Today we might call him a rainmaker, except that any person listening to Jesus on that day would know that the Lord God Almighty is the source of all things, and that the man as rich as he might be is powerless to make rain or any treasure for himself. His abundance is a gift of God's hand, 
and his hoarding of the bounty that is sign and symbol of God's faithfulness and generosity exposes his spiritual poverty, his deep-seated fear and anxiety about the future. Like the rich man, our temptation is to fill boxes and barns with earthly things to assuage our fear and calm our anxiety. But Jesus' hopes for his friends go far beyond stuff. Jesus wants to share God's love, God's very self, with us. God wants his friends to understand there is another way to meet our fears and anxieties about the future. What seems to be a parable about greed turns out to be a teaching about abundance and the nature of God. This poss- is it possible? Is it possible to believe that everything that comes to us is a gift of God's abundance, a reflection of God's own generosity? Not because we earn it or deserve it, but because it is in God's nature to be generous. Can we trust that God loves us unconditionally as we were taught in Sunday school with all our foibles and our fears and failures? Do we have confidence that if things get hard, we will not be abandoned or forgotten, that we're going to be okay? Our society doesn't give us much help. Our culture of independence and individualism dictates that we do it all ourselves. The gods of today keep us distracted by our own desires. We are sold youth and beauty as false standards of goodness. We confuse overwork with approval. We numb out binge-watching the latest TV shows. And we trade our heart's desires for many things because we seldom slow down long enough to figure out what our heart's desire truly is. Worst of all, we forget that we are enough, that we are loved, and we are enough without all the stuff. There was a little boy, a six-year-old named Kenny, and Kenny had two Hot Wheels, which he loved to play with, and he took them everywhere he went. Now, these were well-traveled cars, having driven over furniture and parked on windowsills all over town. A friend of Kenny's family, Rachel, seeing how much he loved those cars, wanted to get him more. But she was reluctant to because she didn't want to offend or embarrass his parents who were rich in many ways, but did not have much money. Then a major gas station ran a promotion. They would give away a Hot Wheel car to every tank of gas purchased. So Rachel enlisted her friends and co-workers to buy gas at this particular station. She even organized everyone's with checklists so that they could make sure to get all of the cars available without duplication. And everyone dutifully filled up their cars with gas and brought in their newly acquired Hot Wheels to put in the box set out for the purpose. It took a month, but they were able to get every last car. Rachel was very excited when she took the box full of her treasures over to Kenny's house. Within minutes, the new cars filled every space in the living room, and she was delighted. But Rachel noticed over the next few visits with the family that though the cars were still parked all over the living room, Kenny had stopped playing with them. 
So in a quiet moment, she squatted down near him and asked him, He looked away, and in a quavery voice, he said, I don't know how to love this many cars, Rachel. I don't know how to love this many. I think the author of Luke's gospel knew what Kenny knew instinctively. We cannot love so much stuff, which is why Luke is so invested in us getting rid of our stuff. Whoever has two coats must share. Go, sell what you own. You cannot serve God and mammon. Lucas invites us again and again to look at our stuff and to let it go. After I graduated from college, I continued the practice of putting a shoebox under my bed. But at some point I stopped, though I can't remember when or why. Today, aside from people and pets, I could not tell you what I would grab from the house in the case of an emergency. I need to sit down and think about it. How about you? What would you put in your box? What are those things that are of greatest import to you? The things that connect you with those that you love? The things that ground you in your identity? It might take some time to figure out. I'm pretty sure, at least for me, it wouldn't come close to fitting in a shoebox. But I do know that through the generosity of God, we already have what is important. We have what matters for life for ourselves and for others. For we have the love of God. We have the grace of this community of saints and the care and companionship of family and friends. We already have received what matters most. We don't even need a box for it to go in, for which I'm thankful because, you know, they don't make boxes or even barns anywhere close to that big.